Hey, good morning, everybody. Let's rise up and worship together. Here we go. chains around us by your grace you are no longer bound no longer bound you call me out of the grave you call me into the light you call my name and then my heart came alive your love is greater your love is stronger your love awakens 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 your love is greater All the dead are coming back to life We're back to life Hear the song awaken All creation singing We're alive Cause you're alive You call me out of the grave You call me into the light You call my name and then my heart came alive Your love is great Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger
Thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us to church. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to get up out of bed and to put on some clothes and uh, come learn more about you. 
And uh, God, I pray uh, we never take those simple things for granted. Um, being one of the pastors here, inevitably you talk to so many people going through tough times and people take their turns with health things and different kinds of struggles. And God, I pray that you just hear a grateful heart today just to show up and be in church. Just as simple as that. Just simple things like that, just to be able to come and learn more about you, God, and to sing to you that your love awakens us and to be reminded that we're called for higher things other than just existing. There's this life that you want us to live filled with purpose. We're reminded in this series, God, that you are love and that you are light. And when we draw closer to that, God, we're so much better. We're so much better. God, make us better today, we pray. That's our prayer as we gather. And please bless the New England Patriots. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> oh, it's been nice working here. <laughs> so on Facebook, people were like, Billy, I dare, triple dog dare you to wear your Patriots jersey. I'm like, I'm too nervous. There's going to be a Hope Vale mom here that's going to be like, young man, the pastor shouldn't wear Patriots jerseys in church. <laughs> Hi, welcome. <laughs> To church, everybody. Glad you're here. <laughs> hey, uh, you know what? Uh, we got a lot of people here today. Awesome. So uh, we do need to do that scoot thing again. You're used to hearing that from us. So if you've got black seats in between you, please, I know it's weird. Eh, you want to save a seat in between you, but please scoot in and l make some room for folks before you sit down. And before you do, tell somebody who you think is going to win today. All right, thanks. <laughs> Hello, Hopevale. Good morning. So good to be worshiping with you this morning. If you are new or visiting, welcome. We are so glad you are here. My name is Ashley Kirby. I am a leader with our young adult group called Aftershock. If you would like to come hang out with us, we meet here in the venue on Tuesday nights at 7. This is my good friend, Pastor Adam, and he does missions here at Hopevale. Just a brief announcement. I want to introduce you guys to some special guests that we have this morning, Josh and Tina Coons. Uh, they're a couple of our outreach partners who serve in Nepal, and they were, have the opportunity to be with us today, and I want to ask them to stand and just to recognize them and say thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, they, have, they have four kids, and their oldest daughter saw the weather this week and was like, can you guys send me to Florida because uh, it is too cold here. So their oldest daughter is actually in Florida this morning, but uh, they, they and their, their uh, three younger kids are here with us this morning, and we're just really grateful uh, that they're with us today. You know, they work hard to invite every ethnic group in Nepal to know and follow Jesus, and so we're just really grateful for the ministry partnership that we have with them. And if you'd like to uh, meet them, say hi to them after the service, they're gonna be right out at the info desk. And so welcome to stop by and say hi and just learn a little bit more about them, uh, about them and their lives and their ministry. Uh, also today, right after the service, we have a mission trip info meeting in the hub. And so if you wanna stop by there and learn more about uh, two mission trips that we have coming up this summer to the Dominican Republic and Zimbabwe. Those trips are happening in July, and so we're ramping up preparation for that. So stop by uh, to learn more about those, and we'd love to, for you to consider being a part of that. So thanks, Ashley. Back to you. We are now going to transition to our time of offering, so I'd like to ask um, the ushers to come forward. The scriptures tell us that God loves a cheerful giver. So this morning, as we are preparing to give our offering, um, let's give with a heart that is so overfilled with joy because we are giving back to the Lord and for his kingdom. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for another day that we were able to wake up and to just worship you. And um, another day that we are able to be a light in this dark world. And we pray for every heart in this room and that every soul is moved by the worship today and by your word. And we lift up the offering and pray that it is used to glorify you and to further your kingdom. And we love you so much. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Ashley. Hey, we're going to sing this song. Uh, just stay seated while you give. We ask, and uh, after you've given, you can feel free to stand. But um, we're going to sing this song called Here Again. And it's this uh, heart that uh, just says, God, would you meet me here again? Uh, would, you, would you be real in my life? And would you make it so I know, I know it's you? And uh, boy, if that's not the prayer of all of us, I think it's a great prayer. It's a great prayer to, to pray and something to sing before sermon time, too, with Pastor Dan, that, that God would meet us here in his word, he would meet us here in his spirit, and he would just be made known. So Matthew, take us in, man. Let's do that together.
Precious to hear the purity of a whispered song. God, would you meet us here again? Anything that we can muster in our own strength isn't enough. And so, God, we need you. We need your presence. So in the same way that you are here now, would you continue to be in through your word as Pastor Dan shares? Make us better, we pray. In your name, we all say. Bless you, King. Have a seat. morning, Hope Val. It is great to be with you on this balmy Sunday morning. Yeah, tremendous. Hey, today is a very special day in the life of our church. Today, 
It's the day that we celebrate our one-year anniversary of launching Hopevale Church in Bay City. Today is the day. Do you hear that, Bay City? That's for you. Yeah. You know, God has been so good to us as a church. He's given us his precious gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, and we not only want to live it and celebrate it in worship, but we want to share it with those around us. And God has given Hopevale Bay City a great first year, and we look forward to what you have for 2019. So great to celebrate that this day. Uh, this morning, you know, we're a few weeks into our message series through the New Testament book of 1 John entitled Confidence in the chaos. And to begin this morning, I want to talk with you about the nature of the Bible. The nature of the Bible. Here at Hopevale, we share a rich heritage with generations of Christians before us who believe the Bible to be this unique revelation from God through human authors to mankind at large, that the Bible is not just an inspirational book, but the Bible is an inspired, God-breathed work in a way unlike anything else in human history, because it is this only Word of God that tells us the story of the only Son of God, Jesus, through who his death and resurrection has opened up the only way to know God. All that to say, we make a big deal about the Bible around here. And we do because we believe that the Bible is where you find answers to life's biggest questions. Questions like, what is the purpose of my life? Why does this beautiful world of ours feel so broken at times? How can we as humanity be both kind and cruel, generous and greedy, helpful and hurtful? Questions about life, questions about God, questions about peace, questions about the afterlife, they're all addressed in the Bible. And yet, and yet, they're addressed in a way that's different than how we usually get our questions answered, especially in 2019, right? Very different than Bible times, right? No, in 2019, we are more likely to turn to other sources of wisdom like Google, YouTube, Wikipedia, right? Who is the 24th president of the United States? How do you fix a clogged dishwasher? Actually did that, YouTube got on, right? What is a Cardi B? Um, actually, uh, sorry about that, young people, right? She's not on my playlist, I know now, okay? Yeah. Not only that, but now we have these voices of knowledge that we can talk to directly, right? Like Siri and Alexa. Hey Siri, who is gonna win the Super Bowl tonight? According to my sources, the odds favor the Patriots over the Rams by two and a half points. Mm, see, there you go. There you go. That, by the way, is not an answer. That's a point spread. The game is not going to finish with a two-and-a-half-point margin, right? 
But that's where we go to find our answers. And the point is, looking for answers and discovering those in the Bible is different than asking questions to a digital assistant looking up something on the internet, or maybe as some of us old schoolers are used to, thumbing through an encyclopedia, right? See, the Bible wasn't written that way. It's not a collection of alphabetized factoids. It's not a reference. No, the, the Bible is different. The Bible is something better. See, how does the Bible come to up? Well, it was written in the context of history, all right. Hey, can, what do we need to do here? Help me out. Hey, Siri, what do you do when the slides don't... Oh, no. Um, can you show them on the side screens? Can we do that? That'd be great. That the Bible was written in the context of history, that the Bible was written in the context of personality, and the Bible was written in the context of relationships, Right? The context of history that the Bible came to us over the span of many centuries and before, during, after the time of Christ. The Bible was given to us in the context of personality, that there are multiple authors with unique personalities speaking into specific situations, and the Bible was written in the context of relationships, one person to another person, one person to another group, a church, a nation. And that's the case with the book we've been looking at, 1 John. And I'll admit that the Bible at times can be frustrating as you read through it. It's not always clear and straightforward as you might get from talking to Siri. And even still, while it might be frustrating at times, if you're willing to keep on reading and stick with it, you'll find it incredibly fascinating and fulfilling. Why? Because unlike Google, unlike Wikipedia, the Bible wasn't just written to inform minds. No, it was passed down to us to change hearts, to bring peace, to give confidence, to transform lives, and to spread hope by pointing us to the only one who's capable of doing all that for us, and that's Jesus. See, this is the power of the scriptures that we have. And so you take, for instance, someone like the Apostle John. John, who wrote 1 John, as you've heard me say throughout this series, John was a best friend and a faithful follower of Jesus. They were contemporaries. Along with John was a firsthand eyewitness of the ministry and miracles of Jesus, including his death and resurrection. So this isn't mythology, people. No, this is actual history shared by a unique personality in the context of a caring relationship. That's 1 John. Now, in total, the Apostle John actually wrote five books of the total 27 in the New Testament, and those five books were written for different reasons. Let me tell you what I mean, that the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then he wrote the Revelation of John, the Gospel of John, the letters of John, and the Revelation of John. The Gospel of John speaks of past history. This is the biography of Jesus at his first coming. The revelation of John, that very last book of the Bible, speaks about a future hope and the second coming of Jesus. But smack dab in the middle between the gospel of John and the revelation of John, you have these letters from John to Christians. First John, second John, third John. 
about how to live out their faith between those two comings. See, remember what I said about history, personality, and relationship? See, John has that going on in 1 John. He is this older, caring, pastoral figure who is there at the beginning with Jesus. And so he is instructing and encouraging younger Christians who are trying to live out their faith in community together amidst all the chaos that's trying to tear them down and break them apart. That's why John isn't written, 1 John isn't written like a straightforward Wikipedia article. No, with 1 John, it's much more than just a bunch of information. There's heart, there's wisdom, and that bleeds through the pages of 1 John who has our best in mind. But then second, and I think this is really important for us, you read the Bible and maybe it feels so long ago. And yes, there is this barrier or gap or divide of time, language, culture, geography that separates us from the original group of Christians that John was writing to. But you know what? We share the same era of history. We do. We live in between the two comings of Jesus, the already and the not yet, where Jesus has already come to earth once as a suffering Savior, but he has not yet come again as a conquering King. And so just like them, as Christians in 2019, we too live between this tension, right? Where Jesus has already won the war, but the chaos of the battle still rages on. And we feel that chaos, don't we? We're still waiting for Jesus to come again and establish his kingdom on this earth fully, finally, and forever. We live in the struggle of the tension, and sometimes it's hard. That's why John wrote 1 John to Christians in the tension with the struggle. So let's go back to 1 John and pick up where we left off. Now, these last couple weeks, John has been pressing hard into this whole idea of genuine faith versus counterfeit spirituality. How can you tell the real thing from a phony, right? In the last couple weeks, John gave us two specific tests. You remember last week? There was the obey God test and the love others test. The obey God test and the love others test. That's how you can know whether faith is genuine or not. We know confidently, John says, that we have come to know God personally. How? If we keep his commands. We keep his commands, and that includes Jesus' new command to his church, that we as Christians are to love each other as he has loved us. That's how we can tell. Whether or not someone, including ourselves, is walking in the light of God's truth, obedience, and love. And so after all that intense instruction, John shifts his tone for a moment. He puts on his encouragement hat as a caring spiritual father, helping out younger Christians, finding confidence in the chaos. And so we're going to pick things up in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, if we're struggling with the slides, I invite you to, um, there we go, bam, ask and you shall receive. It's a Super Bowl miracle. Okay, here we go. Here we go. This is John, remember, encouragement hat. He says this, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. 
Another round of encouragement. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So what is John trying to say in these six statements and two rounds of encouragement? Who is he talking about when he addresses dear children and fathers and young men? Are these age groups? Are they categories of spiritual maturity? And why does he repeat the same thing twice? Well, Bible scholars over the year have spilled a lot of ink on this. And while there's not universal agreement on every last detail, the overall understanding of the passage is the same, of why John would write this and why it's meaningful for us, right? So here's the point. Don't miss it. That the way you encourage others to find confidence in the chaos is to remind them of their certainty in Christ. To get the eyes off the chaos and on to Jesus. That the way you encourage others, that's what John is doing here. It's where we can find encouragement. How? In the chaos? It's to be reminded of our certainty in Christ. So whatever age we are, whatever stage of life we're in spiritually, that it is our unchanging victory in Jesus that keeps us anchored in a changing world. This is who you are as a Christian, John tells them. This is what Jesus has done for you, and it will never, ever be taken from you. That is his heart of encouragement to these Christians way back when, and it still rings true to us today, 2,000 years later. So let's dig a little deeper and find out what that encouragement exactly is. These three groups that John identifies as dear children, fathers, young men. I think he's speaking more about spiritual maturity than chronological age. And not only that, but I think this group of dear children is this umbrella statement for all Christians. You're going to see, we've seen it already, but all throughout 1 John, this is how John, a spiritual father, addresses the church as dear children. So you have this umbrella statement of dear children that's true for all Christians, and then he talks about fathers and younger men, those who are more spiritually mature and those who are still maturing spiritually. So for all Christians, John's dear children, here's what he wants us to know. Everyone in the room who knows Jesus as your Savior, this is what John would want you to know in the midst of the chaos. That your sins are forgiven on account of his, Jesus' name, and that you know the Father. That you can honestly say, I know him. Remember that from last week? I know him. You know the Father. Because of Jesus, you are forgiven, that because of Jesus, you have fellowship with God, that fellowship and forgiveness, these are the two timeless gifts that all Christians enjoy regardless of their spiritual maturity. But then for the more spiritually mature among us, the fathers, here's what he wants us to know. John says, you know him, Jesus, who is from the beginning, that there is a foundation to our faith. John repeats this twice to the fathers. You know him who is from the beginning, speaking of Jesus. And I think there's kind of a double wordplay going on here. That in the beginning is not only referring to Jesus, the son who is with the father, the word in the beginning as we've sung here at Hopewell, but then also Jesus who is there at the beginning, the ushering in of this new covenant era. That John was there in the beginning. He saw 
the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus happened, and maybe some of these older spiritual fathers were there as well. See, here's the point that unlike all these other spiritual fads that come and go throughout the centuries, we're encouraged to stay true to the one we know who is from the beginning. But then for those who are still maturing spiritually, younger in the faith, John says this, you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This last line is what you see in verse 13. He repeats that and echoes these other comments in verse 14, that to be a Christian, the point is this, in this world is to be in a fight. We're in a fight. We are in a spiritual battle, and John doesn't soft-pedal that. It's true for men. It's true for women. It's true for boys. It's true for girls. Where Satan, the evil one, wants to take us down and knock us out. So John encourages us to remind us that we're not in, our fight, we're not in this fight alone. That because of Jesus, we are strong. And because of Jesus, the word, he lives in us. And because of his death and resurrection, we have overcome the evil one. That as hard as our struggles in this life can be, Satan cannot and will not get the best of us. Listen, we all could use a little encouragement in the chaos, don't you think? Actually, some of us could use a lot of encouragement. And what's interesting here is John isn't telling us to find something new. Rather, he's reminding us what is already true, what we already know. Pointing Christians of all ages to their certainty in Jesus. It's why we sing the songs we do. It's why we look in the scripture. We're not trying to come up with something new and novel and clever and different. No, take some time with these verses, these promises. Let them speak truth into your heart because your sins are forgiven. You do know the Father. You have fellowship with him. You know Jesus personally, the one who is from the beginning. You are strong. The word of God is in you, and you have overcome the evil one. These statements of encouragement, these statements of truth, these things are real, even if the chaos of your circumstances, the chaos of your emotion are trying to convince you otherwise. Be encouraged in the certainty of Jesus Christ today. And so these words of encouragement make up one half of this morning's passage. But like any good father, John also has some words of exhortation. Encouragement and exhortation. Comfort and challenge. Both a pat on the back and a kick in the pants, right? John has both. Why? Because as Christians, we live in the tension of these two comings of Jesus where it's not all rainbows, puppies, butterflies, right? And so there are times we need to be affirmed. We need that encouragement. But then there are also times where we need to be admonished. And that's where John takes us, beginning in verse 15. Here's what he says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. John is often referred to by scholars as the apostle of love because of how frequently he speaks of it. He speaks of it a lot in 1 John. He speaks a lot of it in his gospel. I mean, take last week's passage, for instance, where John challenges us to love God. He challenges us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But John also recognizes that it's not enough that we love, but that we also love the right things. 
We also love the right things, or to put it another way, to make sure we don't fall in love with the wrong things. In that case, do not love the world, John says, or anything in the world. His point being that not all loves are the same. Now, I got to admit, this passage might be a little confusing, especially when you think about that famous verse, John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved who? The world. God so loved the world, but we're told not to love the world. What's the discrepancy? What's going on? Well, John and other Bible authors use the word world in different ways. Sometimes the world refers to the creation around us. Other times the world refers to the people who inhabit that creation. See, that's what's going on in John 3.16, where we're told that because our God loves this planet, because he created it, because our God loves everyone in this earth, he sent his son Jesus to rescue us and to redeem this world. This is the do-whatever-it-takes kind of love that God has for the world, his creation and the people who inhabit that creation. That includes you. It does. But there's another biblical use for the word world, and it's not so positive. That the world, as John's referring to here, is this unseen system of evil that's around us. That's under the power of Satan, whose attitudes and values stand in direct and aggressive opposition toward God. This is the darkness that John's been talking about, and it's darkness that sometimes masquerades itself in goodness and light. And so knowing how tempting it is for believers and unbelievers alike to give their love to the world, to give their love to the things in the world, John says don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Because if you do, it'll squeeze out your ability. It'll shrink your capacity to love God, that the two can't coexist. It reminds us of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. What does he say? No one can serve two masters. Try as you may, you just can't do it because your heart's not wired that way. No, you're either going to love the one and you're going to hate the other. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. This is John's exhortation. But what does loving the world look like, and how do we know if we're doing it? Good question. Well, John goes on to explain, verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these expressions that remind us of the two great rebellions against God, right? The rebellion we see in Genesis 3 with mankind, Adam and Eve, rebelling against God. And the rebellion we see in Ezekiel 28 where Satan falls from heaven out of rebellion against God. It is a rejection of God's authority over our lives. It is a rejection of God's commands for our lives. Why? Because we think we know better. Because we think we have to have more. You know, I see these phrases, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and it tells me, it warns you, that we battle inner chaos. A chaos isn't just something that's around us, that chaos is something in us. Yes, our sins have been forgiven, but we still struggle through the growth 
maturity process. With the lust of the flesh, these me-first sinful cravings, the lust of the eyes, this pull towards envy, towards discontent, the wanting of more, or the pride of life, this unhealthy exaltation and independence from God in every area of our life, right? And these things fight within us. And because they do, we can fall prey to taking good things, created things given to us by God to enjoy, but turning those things into our God's. But there's nothing wrong with money in and of itself, but it was never meant to be worshipped. It was never meant to be the source of our security and our significance. That it's a lie to think the more we have, the more fulfilled we'll be or the more important we'll be. And there's nothing wrong with the pleasure of shared intimacy in the context of covenant marriage, but that intimacy was never meant to be thoughtlessly and carelessly given away to whomever, wherever, and whenever. See, this is that anti-God influence of the world that cleverly and constantly tries to distract and destroy us. Now, let's be clear. You know, John is not anti-desire. Now, he knows that God gave us a heart, that we're created to love and to be loved. That's what it is to be human. But he also knows that our hearts can attach themselves to all sorts of stuff, and when they do, there's going to be no room left over for God. The God we are meant to love first, and the God we are meant to love best. And so John, this caring spiritual father, exhorts us out of a heart of wisdom, don't love the world, don't love anything in the world. Don't put it first in your life, don't make it your God, your be-all, end-all. It'll not only rob you of your love for God, but it will also, verse 17, look at this. You know, the world and its desires, John said, pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. There is no future, John says, in loving the world. There's no future. It's like investing all your money in a super hot tech startup company, right? That gets off to a great start but eventually goes bankrupt. But instead of investing your money, you are investing something even more precious, your heart's. Your love, your worship. It's a failed endeavor, John says. And yeah, there's going to be seasons of thrill. Probably it's going to be more exciting than Sundays at church. And that season may even last for a little while, but even in the end, it's bankrupt. It's a bad way, John says, to invest your life because you're going to lose out in the end. I love the way Eugene Peterson, in his Bible paraphrase, the message puts this. Look at this. He says, Do not love the world's ways. Do not love the world's goods. The love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Because practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to be important, those things have nothing to do with the Father. No, it just isolates you from him. Then verse 17, look at the world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting. Is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. And so John speaks these words that go upstream against the flow of our culture and the messages we hear are the promises of wealth and beauty and fitness and happiness and joy and belonging and peace and contentment and convenient, you name it. They bombard us day after day after day. We watch an ad and it feels so compelling. We get on social media and we feel like we're missing out. And when it gets its claws into us, we begin to wonder, 
We begin to wander, and then we slowly drift away from the love that really matters and the love that lasts forever. And so John, like any loving parent would do, says, watch out, be careful, don't go there, it's not worth it. No, live how God wants you to live. Do his will, even when it's hard, even when things don't work out right away. Because in the end, this is where your heart as a Christ follower needs to be. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. You know, as I begin to wrap up, as we think about these two sections of Scripture in today's passage, I want to ask you a question. just want you to honestly answer this in your heart as you think about all that we've covered today. What do you need more? What do you need more, encouragement or exhortation? Encouragement or exhortation? What do you need more this week, comfort or challenge? I don't know the answer to that question for you, but you do, right? You know, this passage that we've looked at today in 1 John 2 is kind of like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you get toward the end of the book and There are different options you can pick from on how you want to finish the story. That's what today feels like to me. Because I don't know what you need. Do you need the pat on the back, the squeeze on the shoulder, or do you need the kick in the pants, right? The slap in the face. What do you need from God? Some of you here today, you do need encouragement, right? You're in a place of stress, doubt, anxiety, uncertainty, fear, failure. Maybe you have really messed up because you have loved the world a little too much and it's gotten the best of you. Your faith has gone flat. Your heart has grown cold. You barely made it here today because you're wondering how could God possibly love a screw-up like me? Well, guess what? He can and he does. And don't take my word for it. Take John's word for it. That because of Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. You have fellowship with God. You know the Father and have a forever relationship with him. And so yes, that fellowship with God might be strained, but in his grace, he calls you out. Out of hiding to step into honesty that when we confess our sins, 1 John 1.9 tells us, God doesn't throw those sins back in our face and makes us wallow in our misery. Now, what does it say? That God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and that he will purify us, cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, that we can find confidence in our own personal chaos when we cling to the certainty of Christ, these immovable promises of God's great love for us. So be encouraged by that. Be encouraged. But then maybe for the rest of us, we need John's exhortation. And we need the challenge to honestly search our hearts and ask the question, who, what am I loving the most? What captures my time, my thoughts, my energy, my emotion? What do I think will make me happy? What do I think will give me purpose? See, whether you know it or not, these are questions ultimately about love, about the heart. And John says we're just wasting our time if our best love goes to anyone or anything else other than God. It's a startling reminder, too, that we can't ride the fence and keep a foot in both worlds. That God doesn't want to settle 
for our half-hearted leftovers. And so maybe today you need to have some honest and some humbling talks with God. Tell him you're sorry, admit that you're wrong to let him know that really he alone deserves your best love. And that you want to live for so much more than just the here and now. Because the cold, hard truth is the world and its desires will pass away. As tantalizing as they are, they'll pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever, John says. Hold on to that, that there is no life that can compare to eternal life in Jesus Christ. So this week, whether it's encouragement or exhortation, comfort or challenge, whichever adventure we choose, may all roads lead us back to the forgiveness we have from God and the fellowship we have with God all because of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for words of life, words of hope. Thank you that you can take the heart of John, writing to people really a lot like us, trying to live out our faith amidst the chaos. That's not only swirling around us, but that's jumbling around within us. And that you can point us to the true North Star of Jesus. And God, we do pray, I pray for those needing encouragement, that their eyes would drift to the certainty they have in Christ, and that they would find encouragement from that and that the words of the promises of our God would come alive in them by your Holy Spirit. And some of us, Lord, we need a challenge, an exhortation about the condition of our hearts and the things we love. God, let us love you and enjoy what you've created and not switch those around, right? And so, God, if there is confession we need to make, to put you first, would you do that? We battle, we struggle. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those things are real. So would you change us? Would you do your work from the inside out so that we would become the people that you want us to be, that you have created us and recreated us in Jesus to become? This we pray in his powerful matchless, victorious name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, let's stand up, everybody. Hey, you know what Pastor Dan was talking about? Um, living both feet in and uh, doing our best to have both feet in the way we live just a little bit ago. And, and um, you know, we're going to sing this song. Uh, it's a great prayer because uh, I think it starts off with saying, you know what? I've messed it up a million times, but You've dusted me off, and because of your grace, you give me another chance to do this thing. Go ahead and take us in, Matthew. And um, this song is a great one. It's an old one that we're bringing back. It's called From the Inside Out, that God would consume us in this way.
consume me from the inside out, Lord. So let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. Everlasting
Boy, we're singing that song, and it is just dripping with references to what we read in 1 John 2. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And all God wants from you, my heart and my soul, Jesus, I give you control, right? And when we do that, he will change us for our good and for his glory, beginning from the inside out. So let's be encouraged by that. Next week, we will continue our series in 1 John, but as you go from here, may you go strengthened, forgiven, fellowship with God. God bless you.